Hello, hello, and welcome back to Project 99. It is June 25th, 2020. Still 2020. <laughs> I'm only waiting to see what July brings. Maybe the fucking locusts or the second plague. I don't know. Who fucking knows? Um, so before we actually get started on the main um, topic that we're going to talk about today, I wanted to talk about Elijah McCain, which... Um, apparently most people haven't heard of yet, but it has been circulating on social media and another case of a completely innocent black man being murdered by the police. Um, this actually happened last year, August of 2019, but the body cam footage was released, um, just recently from my understanding and, uh, all of the officers on scene apparently dropped their body cameras or there was some malfunction so you don't get the whole thing on camera but you do get the audio and this kid uh, begged for his life um, and I think this case is extremely disturbing and I don't know how anyone could twist this because you know even as brutal and blatant as the George Floyd case was you still had people trying to bring up his past and his criminal record um, and this kid, they just, they just can't. There's nothing. He was only 23 years old. Um, he was a massage therapist. Um, they said in his free time, he played violins for kittens at the local animal shelter because he didn't want them to be lonely. Uh, this kid, there's not, there's not a speck on him. He was a completely innocent child, basically, just the start of his life. And uh, he was killed by the Aurora Police Department in Colorado, the same police department that safely apprehended the uh, Dark Knight shooter, the movie theater, or color, you know, the Aurora, Colorado uh, movie theater shooter. They, they arrested that guy just fine. But um, they had a call for suspicious activity because he was wearing a mask and proceeded to come upon him. There was a struggle, not because he resisted. I mean, you can see somewhat from the body cam footage if you watch it that, you know, he just kept telling them, you know, I don't know why you're stopping me. Like, please don't touch me. Get off me. Like, um, he says at one point that he's an introvert. Um, it feels like he's trying to explain that, you know, he doesn't like to be touched. Um, I mean, this kid looks like he's a buck 20. Like, how, I mean, how much did he weigh, for God's sake? Like, so after wrestling him to the ground and, you know, putting a knee in his back, whatever, all the, all the shit that the cops do when they brutalize people to subdue them, they call for uh, EMS who comes and injects him or uh, administers to him. I guess I don't know they injected it. They administered ketamine to him, um, apparently to use as a sedative, which is also terrifying that suddenly you're walking down the street going home and the police jump you like a gang and then they call ems to unwillingly sedate you this uh article's from the cut thecut.com it says that he was injected with it so you know terrifying all that that is so on the way to the hospital he apparently had a heart attack and then was in a coma before he died and I just wanted to take the first part of this episode to bring light to this. Because it's another horrible tragedy of a person's life being stomped out. And what caused this to come to light now? Because his family's pursuing some further investigation? Or because as far as I understand, a long time ago. As far as I understand, it's because the body cam footage has been released now. And just the public is pressuring... Uh, 
them to reopen the case, which I don't understand how there was any investigation at all in the first place, how any of those officers remained on duty, but nothing has happened to them. So, you know, I know there's, I've seen this photo, it's like a tracker um, for the Breonna Taylor murder, um, where they're checking off the people who need to be held accountable. Have they been fired? Have they been tried? Have they been, you know, imprisoned? And so far, only one of the people involved has been fired. No one has been arrested yet. Um, But I just think it's important that we spread the information of these cases and continue to put pressure to get justice for these people and hold the police accountable for their absolute excessive use of murder. I mean, Um, you can find, it's shocking how many videos you can find where, you know, these incidences start out um, right off the bat on the wrong foot. And uh, Jovi showed me one this week where a guy is jaywalking, apparently. He's a white guy. But this officer pulls over and stops and starts to pursue him to tell him about the dangers of jaywalking. And um, so he pursues after this guy, and the guy just like, you know, ignoring the cop because he's like, I don't need to talk to you. Like, nothing, dude, leave me alone or whatever. So he ends up going into the restroom and the cop follows him into the restroom and is like basically asking him for ID and like trying to, you know, have his, and the guy's just like, dude, leave me alone. Like, I'm not doing anything. And then um, he starts telling him to get his hands out of his pockets and like, you know, the whole escalation thing. So um, the guy tries to leave the restroom, the cop won't let him leave, and then the strug- a struggle ensues. And um, the, another officer, who he had called for backup apparently, arrives on the scene and shoots the guy dead. Over jaywalk. Like, this is what the impetus was for this officer. Like, turn around. Get back in your car. Just stop it, you know? So you wanted to have a conversation with the guy, and now he's dead. Now, he didn't shoot the guy, but he initiated the confrontation, called for backup. Another guy gets there, and the guy, that, the officer that shoots shoots this man. Arena, why are we not prefacing this with, I'm calling for backup because I'm trying to ID an individual who is uh, refusing to ID, originally stopped him for jaywalking, um, and, you know, preface that backup with, there are no weapons involved that I'm aware of so far. The charge that I am trying to stop him for is jaywalking. Right, they don't want to put all that out on the radio because then it's like, really? Seriously? Because I think a lot of these things are just ego things. Like the cop just wants to let you know that he's the boss. He wanted to talk to you and you're basically shrugging him off. You're not respecting his authority. So, you know, he's going to prove he's in charge. And so he continues and continues and continues to pursue and pursue. And this guy's just like, dude, like, just get away from me. Like, he's he's not, you know, so he's not complying. But really, like, what, what are you bothering me for? Like, you're, I'm not breaking any law, so just get away from me. And when the other officer shows up and shoots him, uh, the officer who had been dealing with him, the initiating officer, is like, dude, like, you know, asking, like, what, what, what? You know, he said, well, I thought that he, had, he had a gun. I thought he had a gun. He's like, well, that's my um, taser. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. So, I mean, the guy that shows up that thinks that there's a hostile, they're fighting or whatever, and he shoots him, like, who's more to blame? You know what I'm saying? Like, 
the guy that initiated didn't shoot him, but he's more to blame because he never should have been in that situation. That was ridiculous. And there's just, uh, which is what kills me too. I see all these comments online of people saying, oh, well, if you just comply or if you just don't resist and like all this bullshit, and well, if you didn't commit crimes, and I'm just like, if you literally did any amount, if you just actually didn't actively block out the information that's presented to you, you would know that that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Because over the past few weeks, all of the videos that I've been watching, just people who are doing absolutely nothing and cops immediately show up and start shooting. Or they sick dogs on people. I mean, I watched a video today of two people and there was no preface to this video and everybody was like, oh, well, well, let's see the rest of the video. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Whatever happened beforehand, the two people, the two suspects were walking out in front of their front yard with their hands in the air. And then they sicked a dog on them and tased them and screamed on them and threw them on the ground and continued to let the dog attack him and then was screaming at the guy to keep his face in the ground. And it's like, okay, well, there's only a dog trying to rip his leg off. He's bleeding everywhere. And you're telling him if he doesn't keep his face on the ground, you're going to shoot him. And they're screaming, relax, relax. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's so easy to relax when you're being tased or attacked by an animal. Yeah, Yeah, it makes perfect fucking sense. So anyway, I don't want to run on too long about this. Um right now because we have another subject to get on to but if you haven't heard of Elijah McCain um, look up that case Um, there's a lot of different resources for and websites that um, you know you can support the family or make calls send emails etc show support Um, so I just wanted to mention it but the main topic that we are discussing today is the civil war in Yemen and it is a very very complicated complex issue and I'm gonna try not to get too hung up on explaining every tiny detail of um, how complicated the issue over there is because that's not the main focus here the main focus is um, the fact that it's causing a humanitarian crisis and uh, in our research for this episode um, we found that 91,600 people have been killed since 2015. That's only five years. 85,000 children have starved. Um, there's been a complete destruction of their infrastructure. Uh, it's call- causing a cholera epidemic. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia has these blockades set up. People can't get food. I mean, if you see the, the videos and the photos of these children. I, I don't know how anyone, it's not, it's not political. This isn't political anymore. You know what I mean? People, people are so disinterested in so many, I think it all the time because I know I'm like, apparently don't invite me to parties because I'm the worst because I see people throwing away food and all I think about in my head is those images of those children who clearly they, they have no opinion. They're not fucking political. They're not, they're just kids. They're just fucking hungry. And so th- this has moved past, um, you know, whether you support America and their their agenda for being involved and what's going on over there. At this point, I think all as Americans, we need to view the humanitarian aspect of this and do something about it. Well, I think, in, you know, it, there are charitable organizations that work inside of war zones, inside of areas where there are militias battling each other. I mean, in Syria, there are, you know, um, humanitarian aid organizations that try to give medical and food um, to people just basically caught in the crossfire that don't want to be there, that, 
you know, and, and then you have the whole refugee crisis in, in Europe where people are just fleeing from all of these war-torn areas and they're trying to find somewhere safe and then they, <clears throat> they arrive in Europe and they're um, the subject of hatred and scorn by some portion of the population. You know, go back to, go back to where you came from crowd. Um, and a lot of these conflicts are backed by Europe and the United States. So, you know, it's pretty arrogant of us to tell people, like, stay in your own country while at the same time we are backing. And destroying it, yeah. Or, you know, if we're not directly doing it, we're supporting someone, and in this case, Saudi Arabia, who is doing it. Um, yeah. Okay, so but right before we get started here, I just want to mention this in case, uh, um, you know, people listen to bits and pieces of this, but I want to just put it out here right in the beginning. If you are a person um, who wants to help in whatever way that you can, the humanitarian crisis in Yemen. There are several organizations that you can donate to. UNICEF, Doctors Without Borders, Save the Children, the International Rescue Committee. Um, Those are just a few that I named. I don't know if uh, people prefer one or the other. Typically, I've started this thing that after, you know, after we did the George Floyd episode, um, I donated to legal funds of some different uh, GoFundMe's I saw, and then after we did the podcast with Jermaine and Ron, I donated to the Change for Twenty, um, found you know a fundraiser that he set up, and so after this episode, I'm gonna do some research on which one of these you know is the best to donate to, which one gets the the most of the money you donate, um, and I'll make a donation to that as well. I just feel like it's a you kind of put your money where your mouth is thing like mm-hmm. do a whole episode on it and then also contribute something so again that's unicef doctors without borders save the children and the international rescue committee that's just a few that if you want to donate to help the humanitarian crisis in yemen those are some options patrick stewart from star trek you know, the, the you mean patrick stewart from american dad <laughs> i hey, didn't Marie. i didn't but uh yes okay so from the x-men Okay. Professor X. Nobody watches. Yes, X-Men. Um, yeah, watches no, I know. I'm, I'm the only Trekkie <laughs> in the world, apparently. But um, he does a lot of uh, charity work for refugees in particular. He's a good guy. Um, International Rescue is his um, organization. And, you know, I don't know. He's just a believable guy. I think that he wouldn't represent an organization that wasn't, um, you know, on the up and up. Legitimate, yeah. So, yeah, it's really horrible what's happening in Yemen. And, um, you know, worst of all is, there, like I said, there's lots of war-torn regions around the world. But usually uh, aid workers can get inside and help people. And Saudi Arabia is blockading, has been blockading Yemen um, from every angle that they possibly can. It's hard for journalists even to get into Yemen to find out what's happening. So, and of course, you know, our media is not going to talk about it at all because it's kind of a black eye on us, really, in my opinion. Yeah, there's really no good way for the media to spin this to make it look like America is the hero in this situation. Uh, What's going on over there, I mean, despite any way that they can twist it to make us look like the good guy, you can't show people pictures of entire communities with um, cholera and and children literally starving to death. Their bones are deformed. 
because they are so thin and have no food to eat. There's no way to show people those images and then pretend like America is being the hero here because we're not. Um, the truth of the matter is is that we are backing Saudi Arabia, who is the people putting up these these blockades to so that these people can't get the help that they need. Um, so we're going to do a little brief, a briefing of the civil war in Yemen, uh, which officially they say started in on March 22nd, 2015, and is still ongoing. That was the official date that they have, but that was just the date that the Houthi took over the capital. Um, so clearly there was a lot of fighting going on even before that. It's been a region of ongoing instability, you know, from the days of British rule. I mean, there's been all kind of different things that have, you know, in their history that is unstable. But um, at one point in time, they were helping the United States to, you know, defeat al-Qaeda back in, you know, the 2009, 2011. Under the Obama administration. um, They... They were actively fighting terrorists. Um, And so there was a point at which we were kind of aligned with them. But the problem is the Houthis are seen as being allied with Iran, which has been demonized, especially since Trump took over and Obama was trying to restart some kind of relationship with Iran um, to get them to agree to to denuclear, you know, to not um, develop nuclear weapons, and we would remove some of the horrible sanctions because, you know, people talk about sanctions and they, I, I don't think they really understand what what we can do to a country with sanctions. We can murder people without bombs. We can starve people to death. We can deprive them of medicine. Um, and really just make them into a, a, a desert of no supplies. And it always, it's particularly with Venezuela, when they talk about the reason Venezuela is in the situation it is, is because it's a socialist country. Well, they don't bring up the fact that the United States has uh, not only, you know, put uh, sanctions on, on our dealings with Venezuela, but we blackmail the rest of the we world. We strong arm, yeah, we strong on the rest of the world to do the same. So they can't uh, If you anyone know, ever business. tells you that, uh, you know, oh, you want to see a good example of socialism, look at Venezuela, you basically know that that person has done no independent research of their own and they are just a mouthpiece repeating whatever they hear on Fox News or read on Facebook because literally any amount of research into why Venezuela is the way that it is, it has everything to do with um, they built up their economy to be based too heavily on one thing, which they were coming out of a depression, so they really didn't have a lot of options there. And then we, the United States, and strong-arming a lot of other people, decided to sanction the fuck out of them. Mm-hmm. That's what happened. Socialism is not what killed them. Maybe relying too heavily on one on export. oil, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, being oil was a mistake, but like I said, they didn't really have a lot of options coming out of a depression. But yeah, if we wouldn't have sanctioned them and forced everybody else to sanction them, they would have probably been fine, but we didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we have Iran back under sanctions again. Um, but I think the question is, how long is that going to last? How long are we going to be able to basically bully the rest of the world into compliance with what we want? 
I mean, you're starting to see like the Europeans countries say, you know what, maybe not. Maybe we're not going to go along with you on that one. And um, this Yemeni crisis is, is, is not just, the, I mean, it's horrifying what's happening to this, these people. But on top of that, we are the face of that. And so when you have allies around the world, right, and they see that we're backing Saudi Arabia, I mean, that's just not a good look for us. It's not really... No, and this is the thing, too, that I don't get, you know, people who just support the United States and everything that they do, um, if they like who's president right now, because this... this I mean, not that I'm a super huge Obama supporter, but he was making more progress with the Yemen situation than than Trump is. Um, I mean, just in 2017, Trump, right when he got in the office, um, you know, he'd only only been in there a few months and he authorized a raid. uh, And they, you know, they boasted that it killed 14 terrorists, but it also killed a U.S. Navy SEAL and 13 civilians. So you had just as many casualties that were innocent as you did terrorists. And one of the people that died was an eight-year-old boy, um, or a girl, maybe. I didn't write, it says eight-year-old. I didn't write down if it was a boy or a girl, but um, an eight-year-old, an eight-year-old. So I'm just like, this This is the first thing he does and in his involve, involvement with this whole conflict in Yemen is just, you've only been here a few months and already you're just like, yep, let's kill some people. Well, I think, too, that, you know, Trump came to power in 2016, and then we all know now, I think probably MBS, uh, Jared's bro, is probably one of the best-known Saudi leaders to Americans um, that's ever been because normally we're like, oh, yeah, Saudi Arabia, but, like, we don't get into, like, "Ah, who's the leader? Like, I think a lot of Americans are, like, no clue, right? Well, a lot of Americans, that's what I'm saying, is that I feel like they're totally clueless because, you know, when Trump was doing all the travel bans and this and that and the other, and everyone wants to bring up 9-11 for an excuse for why we do these travel bans and all these places that he listed, but not Saudi Arabia. We're all buddy-buddy with Saudi Arabia, and nothing they can do, you know, will make us be their enemy. But supposedly the people, if you believe 9-11 was a terrorist attack, were, were Saudis. So I don't understand how the average American who isn't involved in doing any type of research into this shit deals with that kind of cognitive dissonance of, well, 9-11 was bad, and the Saudis did this to us, but then they're fine with Trump and all of his cronies being up Saudi Arabia's ass. I mean, how do they deal with that internal conflict? <laughs> well, our propaganda machine after 9-11 was extremely successful at kind of doing a bait and switch to where um, it wasn't Saudi Arabia, it was Al-Qaeda in Iraq and in Afghanistan. Like, it was like, do-do-do-do. Because I remember when you and Jovi were, you know, in high school and you were saying, like, well, we had to go to war with Saddam because he bombed the towers on 9-11, which a high school student, you know, and, you're, and I was like, no, that's not what happened. And you were like, well, why did we go to war with Iraq then? And I'm like, all right, well, sit down because this is going to take a while. <laughs> and it is because it, they did surveys of adult people, you know, Gallup and whatnot. They did all these surveys after 9-11, and they repeatedly asked people, like, was Saddam Hussein involved in 9-11? And, like, so many people believed that. You know, that was like the the message that was going out there. So don't feel bad. But um, so and then with Jared Kushner being like best friends with MBS, you know, Mohammed bin Salman, who initially initially took power in Saudi Arabia 
right after Trump did, took power here. So it's kind of like a convergence of two evils, if you will. <laughs> Not surprisingly that um, relations went downhill after that. Right. So basically, uh, the Civil War uh, in Yemen, as I said, uh, started in 2015, officially is when they um, say that it started. And the two fighting factors in this are the Houthi or Houthi um, and Saudi Arabia. And it is believed that the Houthi are uh, backed by Iran. Um, I'm not sure where that information comes from other than that's what Saudi Arabia wants to believe. Um, so I feel like that's why they kind of run with that so deeply. Um, well, not my... to say that they aren't, mm-hmm. but I guess I just, it's, I feel like in situations like that, it's so hard to believe because of course Saudi Arabia wants Iran to be backing them. Um, so the Houthi backed by Iran supposedly and Saudi Arabia uh, fighting in Yemen and the United States obviously um, helps Saudi Arabia in a lot of ways, not in just selling them weapons, but actively helping them, you know, refuel their planes and giving them backup basically. Um, they're fighting... The best way to sum it up, I guess, is that when Saleh was in power under the Obama administration, the people of Yemen did not like that because they felt that he was a puppet president, um, from what I understand. Um, And there's been some fighting about that. And eventually, in around 2011, Saleh resigned. He signed a Saudi deal, which transferred all the power to his vice president, uh, Hadi, which then they had an election that um, elected him. And so at that point, you know, through all of this research, I figured that should have been the end of it right there, right? I mean, Saudi offers them, Saudi Arabia offers them a deal. You know, the Yemens take it. They still have a guy that they like in there, the Saudis. And then when they, when they had a presidential election a year later, they elected this guy. So in my mind, I guess that's a confusing portion of it. But well, when we started looking at their election, election system yes. over there, it seems like, you know, they became a unified country in like 1990 and they set up a parliament and they began to have their political parties and they had elections in 1999 to elect their first president. And it seems like there was a the way that their elections were set up was that their House of Representatives, like their Congress or whatever, had to basically give you your choices to who you could vote for. So naturally, if you have a majority in the House, right, you're going to put forth a candidate that's going to represent your party. It's kind of like here, we have the two-party system where we get the choice between shit and shittier. But then ultimately the DNC or the RNC chooses who they put in there. Right. And so even though we might say, well, we get to vote and we get to join a party and whatever, um, they can overrule that and basically appoint somebody to be the Democratic nominee. And so we might say, well, that's, you know, the way our democracy works. I know there's people that want to change that. But um, it sounds like what happened in Yemen was if the party is the majority, like they just get to pick your only choice to vote for. I mean, that's how it came across when I read it. So the guy that they nominated to be on the ballot 
got like 96% of the vote, but <laughs> the people were like, well, that's our only choice. So the bottom line is that the people in the South, okay, the guy that was on the ballot was, was from the party in the North. So the people in the South lost faith in the whole political process. And they decided that it was all a farce. And the country just kind of descended into civil war at that right. point. You, you kind of have these two factions of, like, the Houthi, um, who are very anti-Saudi Arabia, anti-United States. Um, Anti-Israel. Anti-Israel, um, which, I mean, on the surface, I mean, you know, I don't want to say back and say, Oh, you know, these guys sound like the good guys because obviously they, they are, they are, this is the same group that says death to America. I mean, they don't like Western culture. They hate the United States. Mm-hmm. And it's like, considering everything that we've done, uh, being on the opposition of that, I totally understand where they're coming from. But at the same time, I can't exactly root for them when given the chance, they'd probably cut my head off. You know what I'm saying? Well, um, I think that initially the, the Southern part of the country from like the very time that they, the British, because it was under British rule back like from the thirties until like the sixties. And then when the British got out and they decided, okay, we're going to become, we're going to be independent now, they already had, like, the northern and southern factions. Right. Seems like every country ends up with that. Like, we got the north and the south. Like, we had a civil war. You know, and you've got, like, uh, north and south Vietnam. and north and Well, <laughs> and that's a really good way to put it, too, because their countries into the north and the south, uh, similar to when we had a civil war. Um, but their factions, as opposed to fighting over, like, slavery are fighting over who has political control. And the Houthi, um, from what their platform runs on, they just want a non-corrupt government. They want better infrastructure, better jobs, et cetera, et cetera. They don't want the United States and Saudi Arabia basically putting a puppet president in and controlling Mm -hmm. them, which is reasonable. That all sounds very reasonable Mm -hmm. uh, on the surface. I mean, obviously, we don't have the the on-the-ground introspect that people there do. Um, but then Saudi Arabia, backed by the U.S., is like, no, well, no, no, we're not giving you that. Like, we, we want to have control over here. So, Well, and crazy, too, that when we were reading, reading about the history and how we got, like, up to present day, when they had the two different um, governments in the north and the south when they first became, like, free from Britain, the southern part of Yemen was Marxist. Right, yes. <laughs> they were the only Marxist Uh, country in the Middle East. And I mean, they call themselves socialists, but they followed a very Marxist ideology and um, they were backed by the Soviet Union. So when the Soviet Union collapsed in the late 80s, obviously the party in the South was kind of like not backed by a larger country anymore. But at the same time, you have to understand that if an area of the country exists for several decades with a certain political ideology like Marxism, it's not going to turn around like in the next five years and become, you know, capitalist loving, you know what I mean? Right. So it kind of makes sense if you stop and think about the fact that when you say they hate America, they hate Saudi Arabia, they hate Israel, maybe they're just anti-imperialist. Right. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Especially if you were ruled by a British empire (laughs) and you had to get them the out of your country. Well, I feel another thing, too, with the Middle East and, you know, where in some places a lot of hatred comes for Western culture as a whole is that, you know, when you live in a country that is torn apart by a civil war and every single day you watch the people of your country suffer and starve and have diseases and this and that, um, 
you probably do hate people in the Western land, mm-hmm. living their perfectly normal, you know, eating their Big Macs and watching Mickey Mouse on TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, no care in the world. Don't have to be educated about what's happening to you and your people, even though the people that, you know, we here in Western cultures elect right. cause these problems right. for them. So, I mean, I can understand why they hate every single American. It radicalizes people. It it's does. easy, you know, every time you drop a bomb to kill a terrorist, if you kill 10 innocent people, all the children and relatives of those 10 innocent people have now just joined Al-Qaeda because they hate you so bad because you killed their relatives. So, you know, violence can cause terrorism. You know, obviously, we don't advocate for terrorism. But if you drop a bomb on somebody's head who's innocent, they're going to see you as the terrorist. So I think, you know, when Obama was trying to, you know, restart over relations with Iran, that, you know, if if they can get Iran to the table, you know. I remember back when Bill Clinton was president and you had the the northern, northern and southern Ireland, you know. When we went to Ireland, if you remember, we took a bus from Dublin up to the north. And the person on the tour said, you know, don't be alarmed if when we cross over into Northern Ireland, if people throw rocks at the train because it's just more or less a, um, it's not like, it's just like a protest, but it's not like they're actually going to restart violence. But it's a thing they do because of that long standing conflict between Northern and Southern Ireland, you know. And so um, there was a party there, Sinn Féin, which was considered a terrorist party in Southern Ireland. And, um, you know, people said, well, we'll never sit down at the negotiating table with terrorists. And, uh, you know, Clinton's like, well, listen, um, you all can keep bombing each other and killing each other, and your country can continue to go down a dark path, or you can invite these people to the table to sit down and negotiate and give them a voice politically and maybe they'll stop building bombs and so even though I despise Clinton I think he made a good point and but now we have the situation in Yemen well absolutely what did what did uh, MLK say violence is the violence is the method of right the is the voice of the yes your right is the voice of the unheard that is I mean but that's that's where it goes if you make if you just try to stuff your boot on someone's face you know Mm -hmm. they might not be able to scream but they're going to still kick and hit you like they're still going to struggle but that was a a good point that you made earlier before we started recording um you know when i said well i don't understand that all these humanitarian crises are going on first of all i don't know why well i do know why but it's disgusting that the u.s doesn't just look at saudi arabia and say like listen enough is enough like we need to you need to stop trying to be so power hungry there and you need to just pull out and let Yemen be its own country and you know we're not going to back you on this shit anymore um and let those let those people at least have a voice come sit at the table do some kind of you know not so violent trying to get to a some kind of end to this mm-hmm. and you said um what about you said something about the it's hard to have a have this political discussions with someone when they're with trying their, to oppress you. When yeah, they when they when they have their boot on your neck. Yeah. Right. Yeah, with either mm-hmm. a boot on your neck. Yeah, and I, that's a perf, that's a perfect analogy for that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't you can't even sit down and have a discussion with someone when their boot is on mm-hmm. your neck. And also, you know, you it's very hard to get a party to the negotiating table that ha- that currently has all the power. So for Saudi Arabia, is a much more powerful country than Yemen to start with, especially the Yemeni. Uh, the Houthi rebels. 
I mean, Saudi Arabia has a very up-to-date military. We, we just sold them eight, well, Trump sold them $8 billion worth of weaponry against Congress. Congress said no, and Trump said, oh, it's, a, it's an emergency, secu- national security emergency, and went against Congress and sold $8 billion worth of weapons to Saudi Arabia. Well, and this is, this, I mean, another, I, I don't know how people, I do know how people support Trump despite hearing these things because they don't care and i guess that's where it comes down to when people try to preach at me that like how can you isolate and hate trump people the way that you do and at at that point i just i I don't know how to not hate them at a certain point if you can look me in the face and i can show you horrifying violent graphic images of what saudi arabia is doing to the people of yemen innocent people civilian people and i say these are u.s weapons they're using and trump Mm -hmm. sold them to them if that doesn't make you angry at Trump, I, I, I can't, I, I don't want to be in the same room with you anymore. Mm. Something is fundamentally broken about you. If you can say, I still support him regardless that they're murdering innocent children. Mm-hmm. And, and You know what I mean? How do you even, that's not a difference in opinion at that point. You're a monster if you are okay well, with that. Well, <laughs> Noam Chomsky wrote a book called Manufacturing Consent, and he talks about how the media the newspapers, television, how they uh, delineate between worthy victims and unworthy victims. So when you see someone like George Floyd murdered and the press brings up his criminal past, what they're trying to do is make him a, he's an unworthy victim. He doesn't deserve your pity. And so what do we do? What do we see the media do? Whenever, uh, you know, we were in a war in uh, Vietnam, the media advocated for the war and they said well we're stopping the spread of communism if you don't agree with what we're doing then you support communism and besides all these uh, you know people in the jungles killing our boys over there they're communists so they deserve it like the media will make the person we want to get rid of will make them an unworthy victim so all these children over there you look at the images and you see it that they're horrifying images of what's happening First of all, our media doesn't show you any of that. No, no. You will not. I mean, I won't be surprised if the majority of the people on my Facebook who listen to this episode have ever even heard about the civil war in Yemen because our media doesn't focus on it. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, there's no way to spin it and be like, the U.S. is a good guy. Trump is a good guy. I mean, and really there wasn't. Obama never came out and said, like, we're not going to support Saudi Arabia anymore because what they're doing is horrible. He didn't do that either. Right. He tried to bring some kind of middle ground. He took a very centrist view on it, like, oh, I'm going to try to get conversations going. Uh, But he didn't take a stance and say no more of this. Mm -hmm. And I get that that's all complicated because, like I said... uh, well, the, the Houthi hate Americans, and and what would happen if we were like, okay, Saudi pulls out of there, and now these people have power. Um, but the, I mean, there there is a worry of blowback. Like they hate Americans so much, maybe they'll become the next radicalized enemy of America. But at the same time, their infrastructure is so fucking destroyed. They can't hurt us. Anyway. They can't hurt us. We have. I mean, it's it's this point. We are kicking a dead horse. Well, you know, when we went into Iraq, there were scores of experts that went on to mainstream media and decried George Bush's plan to go into Iraq, uh, warning that even though Saddam was horrible, 
um, and nobody was debating whether he was a terrible dictator. He basically carried a very big stick inside of Iraq, and these these experts on the Middle East said, if you remove Saddam, if you cut the head off, okay, what's going to happen is all of these sectarian groups are going to descend into violence, and you're going to open Iraq up to become a, a, a training ground for terrorists, right. which is exactly what happened. So, I mean, you know, when you look at Yemen— um, and, and a lot of other places in the world, Libya, I mean, where we've gone in with an intervention and basically took what corrupt government they had and destroyed it, all you have now is a bunch of factionalized, uh, you know, militias running around, like killing whoever, and it's like just total, it's, it's tribal, it's total chaos. So it would behoove the United States in every regard to go into these areas of destabilization and try to build people to to get people to come to form a government, to talk to each other, you know, to be like a fostering element for democracy, and we don't do that. But, and the problem is, is that even when we do do that, it is not, um, it is not without our own corruption inside of it. We're not going there to say we're America and we believe in freedom and democracy, and we want to spread that and help other people. We don't want that. Well, we want a stable government as long as we can pick who's in charge of it. Right. We go into places and we completely undermine what a democracy is, which makes people hate the idea of freedom and democracy. Um, Because we go in and we say, oh, yeah, we're going to give you freedom and democracy. And then we completely undermine everything that they ask us for um, and basically force whatever puppet we want in there. So America has, you know, I laugh when people say America's core values are freedom and democracy. I think to a certain extent, though, the people that talked about Iraq in terms of, you know, destabilization and saying, like, well, we want to bring democracy there, like real democracy, not like Saddam's dictatorship, right? But the way that factions were in Iraq, if you remove Saddam and then you go, okay, welcome to democracy. Okay, well, this tribe says, well, I'm going to vote for whoever's going to kill that tribe over there. (laughs) Right. I mean, in their mind... They already had democracy. They got their leader, but the only thing keeping them from killing each other was one guy saying, like, none of you are in charge, I'm in charge. So I could see putting in an interim government to say, listen, we are now the big stick. All of you aren't going to fight with each other. We're going to have a new way of doing things. You're all going to come into a room and you're going to discuss things. You're going to vote for things. And whatever comes out of that vote, that's what you guys have to agree to. So the interim government was fine, but then we need to get the fuck out. Right. Like, at Let some point, we need to get the fuck out of there because then it loses its legitimacy. Exactly. Exactly. But where Yemen is at right now, I feel like, you know, people, when you say about these children and how can people look at that, here's how the media and people who are pro-U.S. will spin it. They'll say, well, look, the Houthi rebels are backed by Iran. Iran is an exporter of terror. Iran and Saudi Arabia are enemies. So the Houthis are just basically um, a proxy for Iran. They're attacking Saudi Arabia. They're lobbing missiles that they got from Iran. Actually, um, Mike Pompeo, who I, if his lips are moving, I think he's lying, tried to say that the two attacks back in September of last year where the Houthis claim responsibility for hitting Saudi Arabia's oil um, reserves 
Right before that was the U.S. had. I mean, it literally as soon as the missile hit, U.S. was like, it was Yemen. No, they <laughs> like, said it was Iran. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah they yeah, said it was Iran. Yeah, yeah, they're like, oh yeah, that was all Iran. They're like, we have no evidence to prove who did this yet, and they're just like, nope, it was them. Like, right. We just decided right, right off. Right. That. I mean, and even if it was with weapons from Iran, it the Houthis claim responsibility for it. So people would say, well, okay, well, they deserve what they get. They're taking these little missiles and lobbing them into a country that has, um, you know, fighter jets. So if those fighter jets fly over and, like, bomb the shit out of you, you deserve what you get. But here's the thing. You know, the people there want to run their own government. They don't want interference from the outside. The United States— Which is a reasonable request. It is a reasonable request. But you're not going to get less interference from the outside world by attacking your neighbor. So I feel like what's happening right now, and actually since 2017, maybe earlier, but at least since the blockade went up. Right. Saudi Arabia's blockade for supplies. Yes. I feel like the Houthis at this point are upping their game because their people are dying. They're starving. They're desperate. So the attacks are getting worse because the conditions there are getting worse. Right, they're backing them into a corner. So before they were lobbing little shit over there, like more or less as a, I'm not saying they weren't trying to hit anything serious, but it was like, an, like they were taken over town by town inside of Yemen. Right. Now, if you look at a map of Yemen in respect to Saudi Arabia, you'll see the Strait of Hormuz. And that is like we were talking about earlier. That's a very strategically important area. That is, this is the area where, um, if you remember, Iran shot a drone down, and there was a huge controversy about it because they were like, oh, Iran has done this hostile thing. They've shot a drone down in international airspace. And Iran's like, yeah, well, it wasn't international airspace because it fell inside of our country. So how was it in international airspace and it literally fell into our country? Because here we got the drone pieces. Um, But a lot of shipping goes through that, uh, the Strait of Hormuz. It's an extremely important waterway. And, um, you know, different countries have coveted it. And right now, Saudi Arabia has the port there that goes out. So if you look at where the Houthis are moving towards, they're moving towards the Strait. So I think that Saudi Arabia is upping their thing because they don't want the, the Houthis to get anywhere near controlling the exit to the port because then they can actually attack vessels that are going out of the Strait of Hormuz. So both sides are up in the thing. And what I feel like the United States role needs to be is to stop being a a kissing Saudi Arabia's ass and step in as an actual uh, neutral force and say, okay, this stuff has to end right now. We're sending troops down there or wait, let me back up on that. I don't know if I want our troops in Yemen. Um, we need to tell Saudi Arabia the bombing's got to stop immediately. International aid organizations have to be allowed to go in peacefully and deliver aid to these starving people. That shit ha- needs to happen right now. Right. And actually, Bernie Sanders put forth a proposal in 2019, and he actually got it passed in the House and the Senate to stop backing the Saudi-led war against the Yemenis, and Trump vetoed it. And Bernie Sanders begged the congressional, or the Senate Republicans, to two-thirds of them would, would, could override Trump's veto. He begged them, please, 
override the president's veto so we can end this atrocity in Yemen. And they wouldn't do it. Why? Because they're Trump's little, they, they're his bitches. The, the, the senators, the Republican senators are Trump's bitches. I mean, and just think about that. That This is the thing that that I, I just, I don't know how to make people understand because I don't want to come off as a Trump basher and have people shut me out. That's not my goal. I don't think when you have a conversation about shit, as many jokes as I make and I, you know, bash Trump or whatever, you know, when we have a legitimate conversation, I, I don't want people to shut me out in that way. So I'm willing to listen to the other side. But it's so hard to do that when you try to have these discussions with people who support Trump and they have no information on it. And I'm like, that's okay that you don't have any information on it. This is a very complex issue that's not in the media and it's not taught to you in schools. And I totally get that. I'm not judging anyone for not knowing about the situation. But when I present you with information and I show you these photos. They'll call you a bleeding heart liberal instead I, of actually asking you what, what's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, just look at what's happening. Look at our systems. The Senate and the House voted for this because it's a good thing mm-hmm. this is what america represents being the peacemaker mm-hmm. the democracy spreader not not the boot not mm-hmm. the boot that funds starving to death children that's not mm-hmm. what we are on either side of the political party that's not what we are and yet trump vetoes it how, how do you support that and and it just i don't know for me i guess maybe i become spiteful because i just come back to and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But I can't help but look at it like you don't care because they're brown children. Oh, no, I, I think that 100% of the time. I think I think so much of the time when I, you know, look at these conflicts around the world, I'm like, you know, racism is at the root of all this, too. It is. Because that, we, no, wouldn't drop bombs, too. we wouldn't drop bombs on white people. I mean, if we showed images exactly like that of white children starving and people looked at that and thought oh my god that looks like my niece Mm -hmm. or oh my god that looks like you know my daughter Mm -hmm. or my son there's no way that they could block that out but they see these images of of brown children with their brown hair and brown eyes and they they don't care because they don't relate to it and i'm like that's i it makes me lose so much faith in humanity which is just a whole i mean i know i'm an empath and i'm a cancer so everybody you know i'm a i'm a drama queen i'm a crybaby whatever but I just, this this is one of those things. I've wanted to talk about this for a while because I see the images and, you know, how they do on Facebook and Google. Once you research shit, they, they plaster it all over your, your newsfeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So all of these charities always come up and they put the pictures of the kids on there. And so mm-hmm. then I, I literally beat myself up about this shit. You know, I make dinner and I throw leftovers away and I see those images in my head. Mm-hmm. I think about it all the time. So it almost, I don't want to say radicalizes me, but it makes me hateful of other Americans who choose to be completely ignorant of it when we have the freedom to do the research, to get the information. We have the power to use our voices and our buying power to influence these types of things, but we just don't care. Well, let me, let me tell you this. I wrote to Shelly Moore Capito. That bitch. Who I, I can't I just, stand. I have to laugh because I'm going to show you, no joke, in my phone, um, my contacts. You scroll all the way down to the bottom. Will you read what I have Shelly Moore Capito's phone number in here as? Stupid bitch Shelly Moore Capito. Yep, that's what she, I literally have. Yeah, so I emailed her about the vote to veto, the override Trump's veto. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that was one of the things I called for. I call every time I see the posts that are like, this is about to pass, call your representatives, I fucking call, but you know. And actually, this is how inane her response was to me. 
She sent me a form letter mm. back in my email, apparently, without realizing that, um, yeah, the vote already had taken place. She's trying to tell me that, well, I don't, because I told her, you know, I'm concerned about the war in Yemen, blah, 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 blah. So she responds back to me, well, I, I don't know if you are aware, but um, Bernie Sanders has put forth a proposal, and I'm just like, you stupid guy. Like, this, the vote already happened. Yes, I know he put forth a proposal. I know it passed. What I'm saying to you is, you have to, you have to override Trump's veto. That's what I'm emailing you about. Like, she's, she's sending me something that's old. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's... Why are you even going to respond to your constituent with a response that's that's old? That's not even what we're talking about right now. Well, like, and this is this is why, not to get too off subject to this, but this is why local elections are important. This is this is extremely why they're important because now we have someone like Shelley Moore, uh, Capito, in there, who who probably doesn't know the first thing about what's going on there. She just knows that she's going to vote for whatever Trump tells her to do. And that's not a representative. No. This is not a democracy at this Mm-mm. point. This is just, they're preying on the uninformed. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like me and so many other people I know get in these situations where, I, you know, I really, at this point, I don't even blame people for being ignorant to shit like this. I don't because it's miserable. It's miserable to like look at this shit and, and to be a bleeding heart. I won't deny it. I am. I don't know how you're not with this shit. Um, but you're just fucking helpless. There's nothing you can do. And it's like even the people that we represent at, at this point in our country, the climate in this country is going so to the right at this point, up to this point, you know, since Trump's been elected. And those people, don't, they don't give a shit. They don't fucking care. If they're making money selling weapons or making oil deals or lining their pockets in some way or another, they don't give a shit how many people die. Well, you know, you've got... Um you also got Democrats in that camp, too. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Taking was, money from Lockheed Martin, taking money from, you know, all kind of defense contractors, Boeing. I mean, it's it's sickening. It really is. Because, you know, uh, like Smedley Butler said, war's a racket. Military-industrial complex. So, I mean, I, I just... And, you know, another thing that Bernie's proposal was not only about to end the end the Saudi, our support for the Saudi-backed war in Yemen, but it was also a resolution to take back the Congress um, authority over going to war. Because the president, you know, can initiate war, um, but it has to also be ratified by Congress. Sure. And that hasn't happened in, like, forever because we just call what we're doing, like, a military intervention. Right. We just call it something else. Or support, which is total bullshit. If we're dropping bombs on people's fucking heads, that's a war. Yeah. People who are dying by the bombs we're dropping and the drone strikes we're doing uh, don't care what you call it. Um, So newsflash there. But that was a good point that you made that it's not just Republicans. And it's not. And I know sometimes when you get wrapped up in this and you see all the horrible shit that they're doing. I mean, the shit that we saw Bush do. And we actually did a whole episode about, you know, how weapons of mass destruction was a total lie. And we knew it was a lie. And Mm -hmm. we believed false witnesses and all kinds of other things. And if you guys want to go back and listen to that episode, um, some more info there. So it's easy to think that this is a Republican problem, but it's not. And when people ask me... um, because everyone sees me so far on the left, and I think Mick too, you know, people are shocked when they hear us say that we didn't really like Obama. And, you know, I couldn't vote when Obama uh, ran. 
either time because I wasn't of age. Uh, but Mick did vote for him. Mm-hmm, twice. And, you know, I do think we're better off than whatever Republican we would have had in office because because of a lot of things that have to do with presidents just besides, I mean, just like how we're talking about we're going to vote for Joe Biden, probably bite your tongue and vote for Joe Biden because of the Supreme Court. I mean, there's a lot of other things that go into it, but um, obviously... Obama just, I, I really, I, I was disappointed in him because I had hope that he wasn't going to be the status quo. And I just brought this up to quote the number, but the U.S. dropped 26,171 mm-hmm. bombs in 2016. Um, 12,000 of those were in Iraq and 12,000 of those were in Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, Obama dropped a lot of bombs. Yeah, on brown people. On brown people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So not that I don't think that a lot of the things he did was really good. And, you know, I'm I'm not going to shit all over Obama, but I I will always say when people talk about him, it's not it's not that I hate him, but I'm disappointed. I mean, listen, when you know, you can show me the same pictures, you can show me children from Yemen that are being killed or you can show me children from Syria. It doesn't fucking matter. I don't care which president authorized it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's just, it, it is what it is. There's right. no party lines in this for me. Right. Yeah, and I think, too, that the media gave, uh, you know, Obama a big pass. Like I said, I voted for him the first time. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I cried. I cried when Obama won because I, I was. I remember that, dude. We had the. I was so proud that we finally got past the race thing and that we had a black president that I literally cried. I remember when the local newspaper uh published the first photo of Obama. We still have it laminated. Yes. We we got the paper, we laminated it, and it was on our bookshelf in our house from that day. I mean, and, and we still have it. I mean, and obviously the first moves, time around, you know, you have hopes, and then, you know, you have hopes of what's going on. But like I said, the media completely just washed over all the negative stuff that Obama did, and I feel like some of the backlash um, – I'm not going to say Obama people went around, turned around and voted for Trump. But, you know, when stuff is hidden from you and then you find it out, it almost like turns you into some kind of craziness. It feels like betrayal. And like what they did in Libya, you know, they took out um, Gaddafi. But then look, Libya descended into chaos. And now there's human beings being sold on the open slave market in Libya. I mean, that's your legacy, man. Like, when people on Twitter want to go on about, oh, Obama, where's Obama? We miss Obama. Obama knew how to speak. Obama wasn't a hateful person. Oh, Obama was the best thing that ever happened. And I'm like, okay, but, like, Obama, like, didn't do all the, any of the shit he said he was going to do, and he murdered people with bombs. Like, right, yeah, <laughs> and drone strikes. And, yeah, so, I mean, and yeah. And he was a drone strike yeah, king. He, he drone striked more than anybody. Well, not only all that, but then he didn't close Gitmo. And look at how many shootings of innocent black people happened, murdered by police. He right. put forth no police reform. He did not stand with his community. I mean, and I get it. I know that, you know, a lot of people said with Obama, well, he didn't stand with the black community because he didn't want to cause a racial divide and make, you know, white people start fucking clutching their pearls thinking it's us versus them because we have a black president now. And you know what I mean? I kind of get that taking that stance because Obama was really good about, uh, I think, unifying people. It makes me laugh when people say that the racial tension started under Obama because I'm like, where the what? Like, where do you even get that from? Um. Obama is an extremely unifying president, but I don't, I, I understand 
why some people I talk to in the black community feel like Obama completely turned his back on them because, I mean, what were you doing? You know, calling for an end to riots and telling people they had no reason to be doing this or that. And I'm not saying I agree with rioting and looting. I, I don't honestly, at this point, I don't know how I feel about it. I get it. I don't know if I agree with it, but I get it. But I think that they Ob- did try like- to do the oversight of the police departments that were found to have like corruption issues that they did. They did have like implement this plan where the police department was overseen by the federal government to try to make changes or whatever. So but it was it was like a band-aid on a traumatic right. bleeding wound. Like I mean, it's the two things that I was really, really, really hoping Obama well, three things. I got there was a lot of things I was hoping Obama would get done. Uh, I was really hoping he wouldn't be a bomber and he and he was. He didn't close Gitmo. That was another one I was just really, really upset about. I can't believe he didn't do that, especially since I'm pretty sure that was one of the things that he promised he would do. Um, he continued sanctions on he continued other sanctions. countries. Um, but he did try he, to it, open stuff up with Cuba. I will say that. He did try to, just immediately undid. Yeah, right. I mean, he tried with Iran and he did try with Cuba. I will say that. I, I don't know I'll that give, he did I'll anything with props. Venezuela, but I'll give him props on ACA. I think that that was an amazing thing. I think that's something that the Obama legacy deserves credit for. But they just put it out really broken, and I get that that's not all his fault, but I'm like, come on, man. Like, you had the shot. You had the shot to get mm-hmm. this through. And, and that didn't come through. So I'm, I don't know. I guess I was just hoping that, you know, some of this police brutality issue and the overreach. I mean, he re-signed the Patriot Act, and it's like, what is that? But spitting on people's rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, was, I was just really hoping that he wasn't going to be that guy. It's the hope and the change. Stamped. Right. Mm-hmm. I, he preached hope and change, and I really hoped that he was going to be like, back the American people, be a humanitarian, you mm-hmm. know, fix the health care crisis, um, fix the broken black communities, which I'm not saying he didn't do some of which to help, but I'm like, you're the fucking president, dude. Right. You had the power to be like, listen, we're going to cut military funding, and we're going to find the poorest black communities, and we're going to fucking build them better schools. Like, yeah. you had the power. Why didn't you do that? Yeah. Right. No, so, 100%. I don't want people to get the wrong idea when I say that I'm not a fan of Obama, but I feel betrayed by Obama in the same way that I feel betrayed by Bernie Sanders. Because it's not that I don't think he's not still, you know, doing good things, but I just think this whole presidential election thing and dropping out and endorsing Biden—it's a betrayal. It is. It's a but betrayal. But you know what? I try to I try to look at Bernie um, as the um, the head of a movement. You know, all the time he said, it's not me, it's us. And I really think that he he said that in part kind of as a uh, like a backup plan because I think he knew that those things were stacked against him and he might lose. So I think when he said not me, us, it was so that the movement would survive after him. And I really do see that it is. I mean, we have had progressives win in the last couple of, uh, you know, primaries here. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing progressives – you know, coming out of the woodwork and average everyday citizens came out and ran for office in 2018 like never before. Grassroots movements are becoming Grassroots huge movements, thing. turning down corporate PAC money is almost becoming a standard. So Bernie did a lot of things. Oh, absolutely I mean, he did. I will never discredit the things that he's done, and I'm always going to be a fan. But He's I, like I, the opposite of Obama because Obama had all the power and did a half-assed job. Yeah, and Bernie had a, did a great job and got no power. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, yeah. Yeah. I guess I wish Obama would have just taken I mean, it's funny to me that out of all the things that Republicans shit on Obama for, I mean, do you remember the uh, fucking the brown suit thing? They went on and on and on because Obama wore a tan suit or something. 
They were fucking I mean, freaking out. I mean, the stupid shit that they attacked him for. Well, Michelle Obama wearing a sleeveless shirt. Like, oh, they yeah, flipped God, out about that, fucking, too. Jesus Christ. They tore Michelle, poor Michelle Obama limb from limb. Meanwhile, you know, Nancy Reagan said say no to drugs. That was her campaign, and her husband's running, you know, uh, helping in Central America to <laughs> destabilize the fucking country. <laughs> Fucking shipping drugs into the United States. <laughs> fucking great, man. <laughs> you got to love the irony of it. Just like, you know, uh, Melania's thing is, like, not internet bullying. Oh, yeah. Like, I almost it's think, like, the joke. first lady is just like, okay, whatever the president is the most horrible at, it's your job to actually try to work against it. <laughs> <laughs> As a married couple, that's your job as yeah. the first lady. It's to be like that's everybody inside the White House is like the and like inside the White House you're imagining the conversation. Yeah, and he's saying you know the president's saying what he's saying and the wife's like fuck you yeah. like that's what the first lady's role is. So. Yeah, I don't know. I can't believe yeah that the shit that they attacked the Obamas for completely blew my mind because I'm like man if you guys really wanted to. You know, Fox News really wanted to fucking just shit and on Michelle him. And Michelle Obama's thing was like, was like food, like yeah, in the it was schools. like a health thing and planting. But I did like, the, you know, her idea of encouraging people to plant gardens and do community gardens and things because I think that is an important thing, especially in West Virginia. You know, and I know even my horticulture teacher at the time when she started all that. You know, we went across the street to uh, a local historical monument and put in community gardens there. And I feel like that is an important thing that people should learn to grow their own food and you know another the good thing that obama pushed as a message and michelle obama backed was obama kind of took a hold on holding people responsible and i think that's important um as far as you know everyone always says the democrats push welfare you know they just want to support everybody with welfare that's why people vote for them but obama actually turned around and said like listen yes we want to give you welfare uh but at the same time if you have to not have a cell phone so that you can pay ten dollars to be enrolled on obamacare then that's what you need to do like take some responsibility and i'm like i really like that approach because i think the majority of people who use welfare use it because they need it but there are always people who slip through the cracks and on the scale of things that i need to worry about in this country that is fucking not it at all but i like that obama put that message out there that's like listen I'm trying to help you, but you need to get your priorities straight, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of things about Obama that I like, too. But anyway, yeah. So, anyway, the whole the whole conversation about Yemen, um, when it comes down to, I know we got all sidetracked there, but it, it is a humanitarian crisis that uh, a responsibility as a human being is to have compassion for these situations. And I don't know if it's always been this way. Because I've only been on this earth for 25 years in, you know, shelter West Virginia. And I feel like if I can come to the realization that this, this is a human problem and we should all be concerned about it just because we can go back to playing our video games and getting our DoorDash delivered right to our fucking door. Uh, just because we can do that doesn't mean we should just live in a bubble where we don't realize that other people's every single day waking up is in a war-torn country that, that we fund with our tax dollars. I mean, we you have a responsibility as a human and what impact you're making on the world. And it's not, I don't want people to get, people, if you're like me, you get sucked in the holes of this shit. And it keeps you up at night because you just feel so fucking powerless. And I don't recommend that either. That's not a healthy way to go about it either. But you have to have something that motivates you to continually be informed and educated even if it's something as simple as just listening to this podcast, which is why I do it. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you don't know about these things, but please, even if it's only for an hour a day, get off of Facebook and don't read what propagandized mainstream media feeds to you or false fucking information and memes tell you. 
just genuinely do some research about what other people in the world you're experiencing and give a shit. Yeah. I mean, I mean and you'll find conflicting information for sure. It's complicated. When we were trying to plan for this podcast, I mean, you know, we knew about the humanitarian situation in Yemen, but when we started researching, like, the history, I mean, history is one long, continuous thing that goes back as far as the written record, right? So we're digging into, okay, well, the British control, like, okay, but how do we get to it? And it's we don't complicated. Know a lot about, you know, there's a lot of you know, religious conflict that they have here that we don't have in this country as a main problem and we're not killing each other because somebody's Jewish and somebody's Catholic. I mean, that's just not something we deal with here. So, but you you don't have to be a genius. I mean, I'm by no means some kind of fucking Einstein, dude. It's just, you don't have to even understand what they're fighting over. What you need to know is that there are innocent people suffering and right. there, there has to be, I mean, even if you don't want to get involved in the, a political opinion, there's another thing too. You don't have to have an opinion about everything. You don't have to come to me with enough information and knowledge and a formulated opinion on what you think the U.S. should be doing, if we should intervene or if we shouldn't and who we should be backing. You don't have to have all that. I'm just asking you to look at the to situation care. as a human and say, I don't want to get involved in the politics of this, but whatever you guys do, you need to work out so that these people are not suffering and exactly. dying of, of famine and disease. Fellow humans. We're all fellow humans. And you know what? Aside from religious differences and political differences and all that kind of stuff, if you're a child and you experience a trauma, it's pretty much guaranteed that that trauma is going to affect your future life especially if you live in a country where you don't get mental health services, where there's nothing for you to get over that. Okay, so if your family is murdered or your sister is raped or whatever, some horrible thing happens to you, as you grow up, that formulates part of your identity. And, you know, if we really want to have a war on terror, if we want to eliminate terrorists, why don't we stop thinking about all the, start thinking about all these things that generate hatred and terrorism because let me tell you something there's a big difference between sitting in your living room and hating on joe biden or hating on donald trump and formulating a plan to fly a plane into into a building and murder people or take a gun into a synagogue and shoot people there's another level of psychosis and if nothing else will get you to that point it's experiencing violence at a young age so you know if if even if it's only for self-interest that you don't want to be shopping with your kid at the mall and have some crazy nutbag blow up a bomb, even if it's because you on your in your own peaceful life don't want to be interrupted. That's where that shit can come from. Because guess what? There's planes flying every day. There's people traveling every day. There's people coming into the country every day. So you're not going to ever be 100% safe unless we stop and recognize that we have to be part of the solution over there to really have peace anywhere, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, as part of this journey of starting this podcast and communicating with people across party lines and talking to your neighbor and being disassociated with the media. I mean, I must have this conversation once a day that I tell people they need to turn their TV off and talk to other people in their community because it is becoming increasingly apparent to me that people do not know how to differentiate between the things that they read on the internet and real life. They really don't know how to do that. And it's shocking for me because I do understand that. So it doesn't seem hard to me. Um, it's, it is, I guess I recognize and I relate with people that I understand 
that if it's not your own experience, it's hard to understand and relate to. And I get that. But just, I don't know. It's, it's such a huge bridge to gap. But I just think it starts with, with conversations like this. And, you know, when you, when you sit down at a, a group of people and you're talking at a party, and, you know, you're just talking about recent events or this and that, maybe just once instead of talking about, you know, what, I don't know, some pop culture figure, Miley Cyrus, Lady Gaga, one of them was wearing at some kind of music performance ceremony or whose tit got exposed at the Super Bowl, you know, <laughs> instead of talking about shit like that, like, have a discussion with people about shit like this that actually, mm-hmm. you know, fucking matters. You know, I mean, I, I like I said, I don't expect people to be on it 24-7, but just, I mean, I, I just feel like it's the duty of every single person to be educated and try to educate people who just haven't had the chance to know about it yet. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, and if you got to be filled with hate for Nancy Pelosi, do it for a good reason. Like, there's some good reasons to not like her. Absolutely. <laughs> the stuff I see conservative Trump lovers hating on Nancy Pelosi for are so dumb. I'm like, listen, there's real things you could hate on Nancy Pelosi for. Like, the fact that she in, she endorses, Ven, uh, you know, uh, Guaido in Venezuela. Like, that's a thing to hate her for. Like, there's there's plenty of blame on both sides. Right. So just just pick something and worthwhile. Same, pick a suffering child to be the reason why you're pissed off at a politician, not... And in the same sense, you know, people on the left who want to hate Trump. I mean, you can go on and on and on all day about why you hate him with his tiny hands and his orange skin, but that that's not going to get to people. They're just going to block that out, you know? That's not that's not making an argument at all. Those kind of cheap shots and this back and forth, this name-calling, this bickering that has become American politics isn't getting us anywhere. Like, you need to... If you want to have the opinion to hate him, at least know why and have a legitimate reason. Um, So when people confront you that do support him, you can say, you know, here's legitimate reason A, B, and C with absolute fucking evidence. It's not rumored. It's not maybe it could be this, maybe it could be that. There's no denying it. This is what it is, black and white on paper. There's no, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and base your arguments off of things like that. So anyway, I'm going to, um, reiterate this humanitarian crisis in Yemen before we wrap this up. Um, And I hate to focus on just numbers because I feel like people hear numbers and it just doesn't resonate. But, you know, when you think of a concert or a football field full of people, I think that's a... Actually, you know what? Let me look up. How many people fit in a football field? So, a football stadium, um, 60,000 spectators, 70,000 seat, well, eight between seven and 80,000. Okay, so... Roughly a football stadium full of people. Right. Yes. Has okay. died. That's a good one. Yeah, it looks like U.S. stadiums by capacity. So, right at the top, the first one, Michigan Stadium, 107,000 people, right? A football stadium. A football stadium of people. 91,600 people were killed from 2015 to now. That's nearly a football stadium full of people who have died. Okay? And that's not including people who have been injured or people who may have never been found to even be counted. And then an additional 85,000 children, just children, have died from starvation. Okay? This is a football stadium full of people. I think that's a good way to make people realize how big it is so some of the places that you can donate again if you want to try to help the humanitarian crisis 
in Yemen are UNICEF, Doctors Without Borders, Save the Children, and the International Rescue Committee. And as I said, after doing this episode, I will be making a donation to one of those. I like to do research um, from the Charity Navigator and see which one uh, the most percentage goes to the foundation. So after doing that, I will be making a donation and I encourage you all to do the same. Um, but do you have anything else you wanna leave off on, Mick? Um, no, I don't think I do. All right, guys. Well, that's all we have for you this week. Maybe next week we'll do something about a conspiracy or, um, I don't know, maybe we'll come up with something not so fucking horrendous for once. There's been some good UFO shit going on. Maybe we'll talk about that. (laughs) Yeah, maybe we'll get a break in and have some laughs with some UFO shit. But until then, we'll see you next week. This is Juke signing off. This is Mick signing off.